0: Welcome to my hearth. We started to look at, in the previous episode, the whole idea of overhearing and observing the quirks and eccentricities of other human beings. If you are of an artistic sensitivity, then of course you notice certain things and some of them are going to stick And the more they stick, the more useful they are. It's one of the important things in our lives that we don't remember every single moment of them. But anything that does get into our memory pocket is worth keeping and using. In certain areas of your life, more things are going to stick. We all remember teachers at school because they had such a strong effect on us and also we saw them regularly. They were, as it were, substitutes for our family because we saw them so often. I spoke in the previous episode about the fact that my family obviously had that proclivity to observe and notice people. From the ages of 11 to 17, I was at boarding school and therefore I saw more of my teachers than I did of my family. Their characters stayed with me, both good and bad. And the same can be said of the people that were the other members of the boarding house. Many of the teachers had been in the Second World War. What was interesting is that, just like my parents, they hardly mentioned it. It was one of the other teachers who told me that my French teacher had actually been in the French Resistance. I would have loved to talk to him about it, but he wasn't the kind of teacher that you had a conversation with. There was a distinct separation at that time between adults and children, and children very often were kept on a need-to-know basis. The younger staff, perhaps in their 20s and early 30s, were much more likely to have a conversation with you, but the older teachers definitely wanted us to know our place. It was, in a sense, a great shame that they didn't share their experiences. I often wondered about that particular generation. Was it because they had been in the war and had been trained with the careless talk costs lives policy that you did not share Any details of your private life. Even within my own family there were certain things that people just did not talk about. The idea that in small close communities you don't want the neighbours to know your business was a very strange concept when in fact if there was anything big that happened they automatically did know your business. You didn't want the reputation of being a nosy neighbour. However, your neighbours performed a function which is not around anymore, and that is that they looked after and cared for and took responsibility for you as though you were their own children. I had several aunties and uncles in the village who were not relatives, but they were places where you went and had tea as though they were. They may have lived in the same street, or they may just have known my family for a very long period of time. When I was in Keswick, I had enough natural aunties and uncles to go round for several people. When I was in Essex, the village in Essex, most of the aunts and uncles were not blood relatives. And that's because my father's family were very small. I only had one aunt and uncle that was connected to my father. And they only had one child, so I only had one cousin on that side. I didn't quite understand the imbalance. You know, why did I have literally hundreds of relatives on my mum's side and only about four or five on my dad's side? But they all provided grist to my artistic mill in the same way that my teachers did. Even the teachers who were more involved with the out-of-school activities that I was involved with, especially the music, the arts, the theatre, the choirs, all of those things, even those teachers, never really went into friendly conversations. Again, it was a different world. Now, in terms of observed and overheard, it's very interesting that sometimes you have to create a picture of a character from things that other people have observed and overheard about them, even though you haven't. I'll give you an example, and that is my paternal grandfather, my father's father. Now he had a real effect on me, partly because I'm named after him and Crispin is an unusual name. He was called Crispin because he'd been born on St Crispin's Day. And it was common practice in those days to include your Saint's Day name within your own name. So he was called William Crispin Harris. No, he was also fascinating to me because he was such a multi-talented person. He was an extremely good artist and I have some of his paintings and drawings, which is quite interesting. He was truly ambidextrous and apparently could do his signature with both hands. Again, this is second-hand information and wouldn't hold up in a court of law but I'm merely passing it on of, as of great interest he had worked at one point as a commercial artist and was known for several images and logos which I saw in my childhood he also was very intelligent and was brilliant at crosswords he and his half-brother had a little competition between them each day to see who could finish the Times crossword the quickest before they had breakfast. Not only that, there was a newspaper at the time called John Bull, and he used to do the competition in it, which was called Bullets and he won it more times than any other person. I don't have it now, as far as I know. It may be lost within the confines of other paperwork, but there was a newspaper article about him, which was entitled, The Amazing Mr Harris Pulls It Off Again. I'm not quite certain what the competition involved, although I knew it was something to do with creating a phrase or motto to be the definition or essence of a word or phrase. And one of his winning entries was to create something for the word sacrifice. And he came up with the phrase, King on Cross, for country. Now, some of the competitions that he went in for, the prizes were particularly large for that time. He won a radio every year. And my mum said that when she first went to my dad's house in London, each room had a radio in it. I believe he won the use of a car for a year Now, he couldn't drive, so they also gave him a chauffeur. And again, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I'm just passing it on for interest. Now, I could never quite find out what he did in the war. Because again, whenever I asked my grandma, his wife, anything, she would tell you a different story each time you asked her the same question. My mum, her daughter-in-law, always said that you could never get to the bottom of her because she just naturally told lies. More of her in other episodes. However, it made me wonder about him, my particular grandfather, because if he won all of these competitions to do with crosswords did he go in for some of the crosswords that they used to recruit people in the war? I know, for instance, Bletchley, Bletchley Park, where they were solving the Enigma Codes, they recruited people by putting a crossword in the paper, and it was fiendishly difficult. And whoever they managed to find who had solved it... They would then interview them for a possible job. My grandma had said that her husband had worked for Trinity House. My father never confirmed or denied this, but Trinity House had to do with the Navy, and I don't see why my grandfather should suddenly be working for them. He also was an amazing gambler, to such an extent that he actually had a little room in the jockey club that was his. He was so interesting that I would love to have met him and been able to talk to him. I don't even have many photographs of him. As I say, I've got his artistic work, but I don't really have a sense of him. He also was a part-time auctioneer, and that's quite interesting as well. My mother always said she was so surprised that he and my grandma had got together, because he was obviously a very well-educated man, and my grandma had not had a very good education at all. She'd only managed to really get to learn to read and write because she wanted to buy houses after the First World War and she needed to be able to read the paper to see the adverts to do with the houses. We do know that my father was illegitimate, but that wasn't unusual at that early time of the uh, 20th century. My father was born just before the First World War in 1911. So they are a mystery, and I would like to know a little bit more about them. Anyway, we'll continue with Overheard and Observed next time.